Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm here with a furniture designer, sculptor, trained as a sculptor, uh, Ross Didier, who you may have heard of. He, he's been around for some time and a very interesting guy and wonderful sense of humour. I'm looking at these images and I'm really getting quite excited. Welcome to the show, Ross. Thank you, Stephen. Ross, um, you're well known in Melbourne circles, but not everywhere. Um, but you started out uh, doing TOP year at RMIT, tertiary orientation program at RMIT. Then you moved to doing industrial design for a mm -hmm. short time, and then you moved to sculpture. And you said before we sat down that you were uh, fortunate to have Robert Owen as one of your teachers. Fantastic lecturer, so very inspiring. So why sculpture? What was the, the draw card to sculpture? The industrial design was very interesting in regards to material knowledge and process and industry sort of uh, production, but I missed the idea and concept behind creativity. So I found that um, uh, the, the sculpture department was just drawing me to it after doing TOP mm. and learning about art and design. It was the fine art side that I was really... Um, really eager to do at that stage of my life. And this was in the late 80s? This was late 80s, early 90s. Sorry, I can't put a date to it, but yeah. Um, Ross, you have a connection with furniture. Mm -hmm. uh, your family owned or owned a company called Modern Tone, mm -hmm. producing furniture in the 70s mm -hmm. for people like the Featherstons as one. So was that always in the back of your mind, furniture? Was it something that you kind of thought would somehow appear? My grandfather started a business with his brother. Um, they came from a, a, a farming uh, district out past Apollo Bay, um, quite a poor area. So they came to uh, Melbourne and got involved with uh, business and manufacturing by taking off the wheel of their Buick, putting a, uh, a cutter on it and cutting timber. That turned into making fire surrounds mm -hmm. in timber. And the beauty of it was that um, timber fire surrounds eventually burned, so there was always a demand for more. Mm -hmm. So that transgressed into uh, a business which made cabinetry, and my father um, extended that uh, the late 60s and 70s and um, making domestic furniture, employing the Featherstons for a number of their projects. But the uh, Modern Tone, the company, ended up uh, being involved very much in contract furniture with screens and desks in the 80s before it st okay. stopped um, production. But to be honest, um, interesting upbringing, being involved in factories and manufacturing, but really had no intention ever to do furniture. And the nice thing is you're still working with your father today. He has become involved with what we're doing today on the design studio and uh, it, it's been great. I, I treat him as a very good friend. That's lovely. Mm. It's really lovely. I'm looking back at your past and some of the work you've done and talk about humour. It's just laced with humour. I'm looking at Ophelia laying in a coffin um, with garnished with roses and, you know, um, and then, the, la uh, the last we saw of Ophelia was going down the Yarra in flames, so it was, uh, yeah. And I'm seeing, you know, um, you as a younger Ross looking into a, um, 
Well, how would you describe them? That that was extended nostrils. I did a series of uh, of body pieces, extended body pieces. I, w- I was really fascinated with everything to do with the body and body scaling and body life drawing. And and um, I did a series of body extensions, the extended nostrils made out of about five kilometres of glad wrap, hmm. um, which uh, you can wheel round. And, um, You'd walk down Swanson Street? I would walk around the city and... Um, it was it was installation calm entertainment, but it was it was an interesting study. So the other piece there was a um, a personal body space that you could stand on trams and have your own space, no matter how crowded it was. So it was like a, a piece you put on your torso, and it was kind of wrapped in glad wrap with wire. That's right. So you slipped it over your uh, your shoulders like a vest and it would simply be an extended space so people couldn't come close and you could read your newspapers. I did wear it every now and again and it was very handy. And what was the reaction on trams? Ah, oh, there was uh, there was amazement. I actually got offered how much were they. So no, it was it was fun. Ross, so when was the when did you start really getting into furniture? Because you've been doing that for some time now. Ten um, years? Yeah. The I went after after sculpture studies. Um, there's really not too many opportunities in, in Melbourne or Australia, I guess, with, with sculpture, unless you're independently going to be a fine artist. So I went overseas and to, um, to, to Europe and uh, eventually settled in, in, in London for some years and was lucky enough to get involved in, uh, in the theatre industry. So... That was where I was making luggage and trees and and luggage and, you know, for the likes of Aida and uh, Christmas Carol and theatre and opera, Shakespearean furniture. And it was there that I was just really introduced to to products in general. Not well, that we had to make them last, but, yeah. you know, just the, the idea of the visuals of them. What was the challenges of doing theatre sets and the skills that you needed that you think have kind of helped you with furniture? It was fantastic to learn prototyping because in theatre things don't need to last. Mm-hmm. They need to look authentic from a small distance. And so, you know, sometimes behind stage you were just hoping that the, the sticky tape was going to last the distance of the show. But it was more about getting an idea quickly resolved. And that mm-hmm. was really what the, the value of, of, of working in theatre really taught me. You've done some interesting pieces over the years. You've got... Um for people who who can't obviously can't see this image, it's a wonderful. It's called the udder light, the udder chandelier, and it literally looks like a cow's udder. <laughs> what was the idea, and what was the reaction? That would have been early nineties. Early nineties. I came back from uh, actually no, it was probably um, it was probably uh, mid come later nineties. I, I came back from London. Um, determined to come back to Australia and, and start a studio um, and we just got involved with anything to make money. We were really short of money and we really decided to just open up a creative studio. We called ourselves designers but uh, well, I called myself a designer. I wasn't really, we didn't really have mm. a design studio but it felt right. But we took on commissions and, and projects and art exhibitions and that particular one was an invite from um, the Span Gallery when it was uh, in Flinders Lane, mm. and it was an exhibition uh, called Elastic, and so I was invited into it, and so mm. I made a rubber cow under utter chandelier. So it was um, 
And did they sell rolls, or was it just more a curiosity thing? It was curiosity. It was more about experimenting with materials. Um, One-off pieces are fun to do, but they do teach you a lot too uh, about materials. It actually went to Milan and was and was hung up in the ceiling when I first exhibited uh, first show in Milan. It was when was that, Ross? Uh, that would have been. Um, Ooh, about 2005, so some time later it, yeah. it, I unpacked it and took it back over there and it was hung up near the air conditioner, so it was jiggling for the whole show and it actually brought people over to see the more commercial designs that I was trying to sell. So it was it was a, a visual flag. and the Brazilians loved it. It was on their TV and it was in their magazine, so obviously some cultures love it, some cultures don't. Um, what would you say was... Some a, a chair at that time, you know, looking seven, eight years ago, that really, or a product that really started to make things happen for you? During the stage of coming back from overseas, um, we were getting small projects um, that were nice, but they, they were quite varied. And we got approached by Nintendo Australia to do a chair for them, for their, uh, for their offices here. And so we developed up a commercial chair and production piece, which was really a threshold of, of learning about mm-hmm. the fact of uh, small-scale production to you know larger scale and all the concerns with that. So the dice furniture, mm-hmm. which ended up being an extended range, um, was, was my first. Was it daunting to be given such a big order? Um, it was nice mm-hmm. to get the order, and it was daunting later actually having to make it. But it was... It was something that we were ready for, and I was certainly ready for to actually do a project with uh, of significant quantity and mm. and and value that you know really really pushed us to the next level. The other thing that you do is you work with architects on interiors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've done a number of bars and cafes. Mm-hmm. How does that relationship work? Do they approach? Does the architect approach you? Does the client approach you? And then the architect approach you know how does that collaboration tend to work? Well, it's been varied over the years. Um, sometimes an architect uh, or an interior designer has seen a piece and they've, you know, they want a custom-designed chair or bench or, or, or furniture or whatever it is for the job they're working on. Uh, this particular job that you're looking at now called the deanery, that was during a time when a number of people that I knew were wanting to do uh, a venture so we took on a underground car park at the very lowest geographical point of Melbourne in at the bottom of Flinders Lane near Elizabeth Street. So we took on an old car park and just totally converted it. The architects were uh, uh, Atelier Techni, a young architect right. firm. So we, a number of us, graphic designers, lawyers, architects, me being a furniture designer, came together and basically did a project and um, I got to do all the furniture so you also did the wall piece no that was all part of the the architects getting involved so it was a very adventurous exercise and the thickness of the of the of the concrete was great for storing wine so Mm. it was an interesting project and the deanery is still there the deanery is still still there I'm not sure what it's called the deanery still but it's definitely the just off Flinders Lane Mm. I can see this lovely cow, Utter Light. That was the exhibition in Milan. So 
that was the first exhibition that I'd ever done overseas. Um, How daunting is it? Because a lot of people think, it, you know, what what are the challenges of, of actually doing something like this? I mean, apart from the money, which must cost, mm. must be quite a considerable at amount. At that stage, I had a small flat, mm. and I sold that to simply afford to go over. Um, there was a small grant through Austrade, but... It is daunting because of the expense, but it was something that I needed to do. I was ready to do something overseas. Mm. I I missed being overseas and I missed travelling, so it was really an excuse to not only get back over there, but also to do something um, of of commercial significance and try Um, and get some results. What was the result? It was fantastic for us. We um, had a lounge. the, The Obelisk Lounge was a new concept that, I had developed up, which was very uh, angular, very geometric-shaped lounge, and it was very appropriate for the time. Um, there was a lot of very geographical and angled uh, designs at being launched at the Milan show. So that particular lounge, um, a lot of interest from a lot of international firms, and we ended up uh, selling the rights to that to Alamur, which was a, a, a large English firm. And you didn't know how large they were at the time? Cause... Oh, no, it was, uh, I thought really it was a cottage industry in the UK after having lived there. Mm-hmm. But I went up and visited them with this prototype uh, a few months after the show and um, went up to the Lancashire area. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find the, the garage that I was looking for and went back down to the service station and asked where Alamur or Senator, the, the mm-hmm. parent company, and they said, oh, up there, that is Senator. So it was a major, and major factory. semi-trailers. Semi-trailers and... Ready um, to load furniture onto different places. Major production. So we've had success all around the world with that particular one. A, a great project was the Denver Art Museum, which mm-hmm. they opened up, um, I think, about 2006. And the lounges? The lounges decked out throughout the, the foyers and the lounging areas, which was, you know, great attention for us. Mm. Must be so exciting. Very exciting. I must visit it one time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get a little plaque saying who the designer is or when when it's in a museum setting or not really? It's not actually part of the actual museum, but it's actually the functional furniture in the actual museum. So it's actually all under the Alamir brand. These are some prototypes that we, we developed up as ideas and concepts. And, oh, they're beautiful. There's, I'm looking at, um, an oversized, uh, screw in gold. It was very appropriate for how I was feeling at the time, so we call that screwed. I was very much in a mind space of thinking fine art, but being in a design world, and I was struggling with trying to find the the rational um, decisions yeah. to change from fine art to design. I was very much struggling with it. It may, may sound sort of like insignificant, but it was a real mental challenge to to change from thinking like a fine artist to actually being a designer. Mm. And this was this was on the verge of, you know, a very conceptual piece, which is sort of nearly kitsch in, in essence. I wouldn't call so, it kitsch. I think it's a really interesting idea. It's basically an oversized screw, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, greater than the size of a hand that's used as a coat rack and you screw it into the wall. And it looks like the old, the old style sort of flathead screw. And did that go ahead? A lot of interest. Um, but it would have been a very expensive tooling exercise. So uh, there was actually huge interest over the internet, but just not enough to justify the the huge tooling costs that, that it would have needed to put it into manufacture. The other chair that's been quite popular has been this one. Uh, 
No, that's no? actually the very start of the tiller chair you may have yes, been thinking of. The tiller that chair. That was the that one you're just looking at there was the first ever three legged stacking chair. Right. Um so that was a very early modelling for the for the tiller. There's the Denver Art Museum there. So how does it work? Do you tend to approach um people like corporate culture and ask them what they're looking for or give them some ideas to think about and they'll kind of take a few of your ideas and say, look, develop those? Because it's a lot of effort mm. to develop something from scratch and then get told it's nothing, it's nothing like what we're after. It happens a lot. It's really, um, it's really what the market is after. I think there are trends, there are, there are a workplace, um, meeting place uh, trends that happen and that it's been a number even in the short time that I've been involved in the industry, but this particular project stems back way back to uh, the second show that I, I had in Milan where Rich Mineau from Corporate Culture saw a, um, a cast aluminium table that I had that showed a lot of interest and um, that ended up being made into a lounge range and we've worked quite closely ever since. So this um, particular range right. here... Um, being modular seating and they've invested some serious tooling for the casting of the aluminium legs and aluminium extrusions. So this one is a pretty interesting project. Um, Kettle One, uh, one of the oldest vodka making companies in the world, approached a number of us here in Australia, obviously for their own marketing branding of their, their, their vodka here in Australia, to, to do a craft piece and it was all about the craftedness. And so this particular um, this particular one called the Fable Range, um, as you're seeing here, are the prototypes for it. But the prototypes that I made were all painted in chalkboard paint, and then the ideas and the sketching on it to make the prototyping was all sketched on the pieces themselves. And then all the waste material were then collected and put into Victoriana-type specimen jars. Mm. So it was it was quite an exhibition come... Victoria Albert Museum type of presentation, but the Fable range, which now we've gone into production, yeah. if I can just read read yeah. this, um, the Fable range was all about thinking simply. Fable is a collection of six essential utilities. A spoon, a bowl, a stool, a chair, a table and a storage cabinet. Each piece recalls a humble object familiar to traditional children's tales and inspired by the idea that a woodsman has simply stepped outside and beautifully hand-carved a collection of functional timber items. These hand traditions have been reinterpreted and designed for modern-day function, machined and crafted from solid oak with the difficult manufacturing details that are disguised within a very simplified aesthetic. It was really all about a handcrafted look, but for production reasons, we've actually had having to make them with quite sophisticated machinery. And where, Ross, will people be able to see these? This we range? are on the verge of launching in a couple of weeks this particular range, a selected number of the pieces within the range, like the chairs and stools to start off with. And they are actually with a new partnership with uh, a company called In Situ, which we're having a terrific sort of relationship mm. with at the moment. But the Fable um, spoon and bowls are something we're going to have a, a porridge fest and launch them at some time later in the year. When you're looking at, at when I'm looking at furniture like this, bowls and um, very simple, beautifully resolved um, pieces, do you think designs got out of control in, in a sense with some of the pieces that are, are hitting the market now that people are just wanting attention for the sake of it? But I mm. mean, 
because I mean, there's so many chairs out there, and so to actually justify a chair, mm. you know, how do you how do you see it? Well, after having seen my my tongue lounge for Gene Simmons from Kiss, I sort of am a, am a, am, a, am a culprit. But sometimes the the attention seeking pieces, which in many regards aren't meant to sell, are the catwalk pieces. Mm. Um, it's harder to pair something back than it is to make something... The, the, the mm. hardest bit about design is pairing it back while keeping its character. Mm. You can pair something back to make it boring and you're, you're even risking it being like every other chair, but mm. to pair something back is the difficulty. I think um, there's so many different ways of expressing a chair. I mean, it, or you know, it, it really is a symbol of today's culture and there's so many different and eclectic ideas out there that... You can have something as a one-off, or you can be looking at the production pieces. So I, I think it's there is no yeah. definition of what should or shouldn't be. Ross, when I think there are enough chairs out there, mm -hmm. and I do think there's a huge amount, and I still get excited by chairs, and then I sit on one of your chairs called the Tiller, the Tiller Kangaroo, T Tiller Kangaroo, and then I think, well, yeah, there is room for another chair <laughs> because it's fabulous, and I remember sitting on it for the first time in Voudemont. Uh, the restaurant, mm -hmm. um, Shannon Bennett's restaurant, and you work closely with um, Shannon and also Callum Fraser in developing some of these ideas. It was just one of the most wonderful experiences to sit on a leather chair and to put your hands around the back and just caress the fur. <laughs> it's fabulous. It's there seductive. is a need enough yeah. for another chair. What was the reaction when you when it first was released? I'd been thinking about kangaroo, the, the utilising kangaroo byproduct. It, it's it's a resource that was really going to waste, and by no means am I any hunter. And the implications, I was very worried about how people would relate to the fact that I was using byproduct from kangaroos. And I know the sensitivities out there. And I, I love animals, and I love kangaroos. I just wanted to get that on on radio. <laughs> but it's it's a produce which is is uh, culled, government culled, and um, the meat is eaten and there's a lot of the animal which is utilised. A lot of the furs and a lot of the skins were going to waste. A lot of the skins do go overseas mm. to be used for uh, football boots and footballs, like soccer, mm. soccer balls. But there's a lot of it also goes to waste and simply thrown out. So the idea of actually utilising the raw crusts we uh, we hand stained them black and coated them, and we used them from, for the front of the chairs, and for the back of the chairs we used the pelts. Um, other than for decoration, uh, it really isn't utilised for that much in, in the industry, but it also doesn't last that long as a wearable surface. I'd also also been interested in personifying my furniture as household pets or functional companions. So it was really the perfect opportunity, this project, to actually bring all the the, the concepts and philosophies that I've been talking about mm. together. So, look, it's been a great reaction. We're, we're and the tables are just as exquisite. They're covered in pelts. They are covered in, in the hides. In so, the hides. Yeah. And it's probably the, the most pleasurable dining experience I've ever had, actually touching <laughs> the, the hides uh, as you eat. It's continually, you're reminded of, texture and the animal mm -hmm. it's quite extraordinary we did the tables and there was some shoe um, young shoe manufacturers called the captains of industry who got involved in hand 
um, wrapping uh, the the hides over our tables mm. uh, for that particular application. But it, it is a fantastic idea. I mean, Shannon was uh, was right on the ball when he was thinking, let's find a different way to present the tables other than the white tablecloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a very interesting use, and we got to use some more hides that probably would have ended up in the in the skip. Um, Ross, are these designs going into larger production, or is it really just for? We the... have we have made a few. Uh, they're, they're very limited production because they are quite timely in, in how how difficult they are to make. But we've had a lot of interest overseas from expats, mm-hmm. so people living overseas, we've sent them all around the world in small small numbers. So everyone wanting to be reminded of home, I'm guessing. What, I mean, you've done so much. I mean, the, you know, there's so many different images here and so much work and, and depth of work. What do you enjoy most about the whole design process? It, is it just seeing the reaction to, to your work? The, I feel very lucky being able to be involved in an industry where I can see the very initial stages of, a, of an idea that I may have had from laying in bed, from being on holiday, from walking the dog, to seeing it as a finished piece in the industry, possibly selling overseas. It is a very exciting process of being involved in that whole journey of concept to reality and and function. So it, it's really the whole process and the people that I'm involved in within the industry have been great and there's all sorts of characters involved and everyone from the factory workers right through to the people selling my work has just been very interesting and I, lo- I still love it. Ross, look, thanks so much for coming in today. It's been a pleasure. Um, I could talk for a lot longer, but I, um, I can't. Uh, look, thanks so much for coming. You've been with um, Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University, and we've been with Ross Didier. So thanks so much, Ross, for coming in. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers.